If you want more information, you can check out my website at talkwithfrancesca.com. And if you want my weekly truth serum, all you have to do is sign up. You can send me an email at info at talkwithfrancesca.com with questions or comments. I love, love, love to hear from you as always. You can also find me on Facebook where you can send me questions if you want to chime in. All right then, personal development and transformation is big business. Seekers are everywhere and are hounded by the question, is this all there is? And there's no scarcity of help out there to deal with this midlife crisis. There are coaches, retreats, and courses like the Landmark Forum. But how effective is all this, this stuff? With us here today is David Cunningham, who is one of the program leaders who conducts the Landmark Forum, an international training and development company that gives people the tools they need to produce results in their lives. Welcome, David. Thank you for joining me today on Talk with Francesca. You're welcome. Good morning. Good morning. David, what makes the Landmark Forum different from other personal development courses? Well, our work is transformation, and it's very specifically transformation. And what transformation is said simply is when a human being is able to bring into existence for themselves literally a new world of possibility when anything and everything becomes possible for them. That transformation is uh, very specific and very important, and it's what literally gives people the power to create fully the life they really would intend to live. So that's our work. It's transformation. That's what has to be unique. So a transformation. Okay. And so it is a three-day workshop. Is that right? Uh-huh. And it yes. goes from 9 o'clock in the morning until 10 o'clock at night, three days in a row. And then you have a day off. And then on a Tuesday night, you, you pick up three more hours. How on earth does one transform in three days? Well, the first thing that uh, is important to that is for uh, people to be able to actually complete their past. So that's the first thing is completing the past. Yeah. You know, when completing the past, their past as in like their childhood. Is that what you're saying? Uh, in right up until the last minute of life before they walked in the door. Quite frankly, mm-hmm. you see, when uh, when somebody has something about the past that isn't complete, it mm-hmm. still keeps a grip on their life today. So to have real freedom and real power, one needs to complete the past. And that's the first you know, piece of work and fundamental to what we do. Um, and it, when you can, you can do that very powerfully and very quickly. Well, that's what I was going to ask you is that, you know, um, how does someone do that and not go through? A, I mean, obviously, if, if there were a psychologist listening right now, they might, you know, their ears might perk up and say, well, wait a minute, you have to go through a process. And, you know, I mean, people spend years in therapy. So how does the Landmark Forum transform someone in just a matter of days? Well, the, one of the uh, we, things we work with is distinction. So, you know, we dis, there's distinctions of the Landmark Forum where you literally, we have conversations in which people see things about their life that they literally never saw before. Like? It's called distinguishing. So one of the things people see very powerfully in the Landmark Forum 
that is unique is the difference between what actually happened in their life, the facts of their life, the things that literally happened, mm-hmm. and what they added to those facts. You could say the story that they added to those facts. And you know, we've seen that 99% of a person's experience of life is given by the story, what they add to the facts of life, and only 1% is actually given by the facts. When you can separate those two things out, for instance, somebody will tell me they failed sixth grade, and what they added to that is, I'm stupid. Mm-hmm. And then they live like, I'm stupid is as real as failing sixth grade, but they're actually not. One thing happens, they failed sixth grade. The other thing, I'm stupid, is something they added to that. When you can separate those two things out, the facts from what you added, and then relate to what you added as added, not your life. Mm-hmm. It allows you to complete that past very quickly. And you know what? I get that, and that's not hanging on to your story. You notice I said your story, right? Because mm-hmm. you're saying that the facts versus the story. But where in that mix does someone have the opportunity to sort of process their feelings or? Or, I mean, you've got to feel something. I mean, for example, okay, um, you know, a a young girl maybe was molested by her uncle, let's just say, okay? And and that happened. And then, of course, what goes along with that are the feelings of of shame, the feelings of um, it was my fault. It's depending on, you know, what age she was, whatnot. Um, But... Dare to just say, okay, what happened? Okay, it just happened, and then that's okay, and then it's done. It seems a little almost delusional, um, you know, with all due respect. And only, I, I say that because those kinds of things have impacts on um, on children, teenagers, kids, whatever it might be. I, so I'm thinking about more serious things, not, you know, I flunked a math class, so, you know, now I'm stupid. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying that that isn't important, too, but, you know, there are definitely um, facts, things that happen that are far more significant and painful, and so how would the Landmark Forum then w- help someone work through that in a matter of just days? And, and, and I'm, by the way, I'm not saying that they cannot, I'm just really trying to understand how well when you have the facts be the facts it's not it wouldn't get said as oh it just happened it's done and that's that it wouldn't get said that way okay you know if if a child if a young woman was molested then you know that happened and it's not like it just happened no that really did happen and it's completely respected and it's completely acknowledged that it happened and uh so it's not like it just happened it, no that did happen and it's it's got to be you know, completely acknowledge fully mm-hmm. that happened and the impact that had on the young woman. And then, at the same time, when you really examine it, the impact of it happening, and especially when it's still impacting you years later. So you have to, like, wonder, right. like, how could something that happened 20 years ago still be impacting me when the event was over 20 years ago? It's a good question, right? It is a good question, and, yeah. And the answer is, because long after the event is over, what stays in place are all of the decisions the person made about themselves, about other people, about life. And when you have an opportunity to examine 
wow, when that happened, what did I decide about myself? Mm-hmm. When that happened, what did I decide about other people? When that happened, what did I decide about life? And you get to examine those decisions and then see them for what they are. Mm-hmm. Decisions that got made or, uh, you know, something that got, mm-hmm. got uh, added to what happened. And you see it for what it is. It truly loses its power over you. And it, as part of the landmark forum, is it is it important to to address maybe someone that has harmed you in some way? Is that is that part of it? Because oftentimes, you know, when you have a problem with someone, you know, the thing is, you know, you got to talk it through. You got to uh, you know make amends, whatever it, it might be. Is that something that that you encourage? It depends. You know, if the if obviously if the you know uh, somebody's harmed you in some way, if they're still harmful, I, I wouldn't recommend to anybody that they go and contact somebody that's still going to be harmful to them. Yes, mm-hmm. and and um, if at the same time there's you know you're safe and the the person is no longer in a position to be harmful in any way, it is very powerful. It's very freeing mm-hmm. to be able to have a conversation with that person that literally completes what happened and and it really has the matter be closed not just like a not just closed like a you know point of view but really closed like you know for yourself like okay I'm done with that now mm-hmm. and it no longer is something that's impacting me so and if, if that's um, the case and it is in fact very transformational then what what and it, and it works, and it, and it really uh, changes one's, not changes maybe. I'm not sure I want to use the word change, but for lack of a better one, I'll just say so. Um, but then how do they go on from that point on to continue to live life that way? So what I'm asking is, so then something else comes up, um, and it's, you've been hurt in some significant way again. So what's the best way to address that so that you don't start building this quote-unquote story around the events? Well, that's the powerful thing about it is once that you actually can can distinguish a story as a story, right? Yep. Now, human beings aren't very good at that, right? We can... We go to movies and somebody in the movie dies and we cry, right? So we're, 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 it's very easy for a human being to relate to a story like it's real life, at least for a while. And, uh, and you know, so while we're in the movies and somebody in the movie is dying, we, we have real sadness and real grief. But when the movie's over and it says the end, and all of a sudden you're clear again, oh, wait a minute, that was a movie. It didn't really happen. You'll notice all the emotion and all the grief that was there during the movie begins to dissipate and diminish. So like that, when when somebody gets good at, and uh, out of the three days of the Lambert Forum, people do get good at, oh, they can start to see, wait a minute, here's what's happening in my life, and here's what I'm adding to it. Mm-hmm. And they can see that as it happens, mm-hmm. then literally the the stories stop impacting them and they as you know as the weeks and months and years go on after the landmark forum they stop accumulating those kind of stories and the kind of impact that those stories would have in their life and so they they're not only get free out of the landmark forum but they're able to sustain that freedom over time and it almost sounds like you put a mirror in front of um, the person's face during the, the the process during the landmark forum well, you could say it's like putting a mirror in front of all of life. Like, really, how does life work? Mm-hmm. Like, how you know how is it that um, how is it that you can really uh, uh, 
be free, like set yourself free from the past. And then that's only the first part. The second part is then be able to create powerfully really who you are and what you want your life to be about. Mm-hmm. How does that work in life? And so um, we, we really examine how life works for people, you know, so that they get powerful with it. Okay. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Talk with Francesca, and I'm here today with David Cunningham, who is one of the program leaders who conducts the Landmark Forum, and we are discussing um, transformation. Um, so, David, let's get practical. Relationships are fraught with frustration as well as love and connection, and connecting and relating with family is obviously very important, but it's also so challenging. What, what blocks effective communication? And uh, a two-part question here, how can we get past the baggage and really relate with our family or others? There's two things that really block effective communication. One is, our, you know, as human beings, our concern for looking good, our concern for being well thought of, mm-hmm. our concern for uh, having a particular reputation, even with the people close to us, closest to us, the people in our families. Mm-hmm. And as a consequence, we tend to be careful what we say or try to say the right thing or uh, not say, you know, what is really uh, authentic for us uh, because we're afraid that if we're authentic and and really open and sharing ourselves that somehow uh, other people will think less of us, think poorly of us. So one of the things that blocks communication is people's concern for looking good, their reputation, how they're thought of in front of others. A second thing that blocks communication between uh, even, you know, husbands and wives and uh, partners and and, uh, uh, parents and children is, again, that over the time things happen between us and then we decide things about each other and then we start relating to each other through the filters of what we've decided. Mm -hmm. I had a young man recently who's, um, uh, when his parents got divorced, he decided that his father was unforgivable. And then he started relating to his father as this unforgivable person. And when you start relating to somebody through the filter of what you've decided about them, your communication gets distorted. Your communication gets uh, thwarted. Mm -hmm. Your communication gets stifled because you're now not talking to a human being anymore you're talking to something you've decided about a human being. I want to just go back to the first part of what you were saying about uh, how we worry so much about what other people think. And, and I love the saying, what other people think is, is of you is none of your business. And, you know, and it's interesting because I think we get so wrapped up, you know, just as a human caring so much about what other people think. That's why I love dogs so much. They just don't care. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we do. We worry so much. And, you know, I, I think, not saying that people are all self-centered, but we're all into our own lives doing our own things. How much time do we really give thinking about st- or judging someone else? And and the people who do judge you probably are kind of bored anyway, Right. <laughs> right. And, you know, so one of the things to do with all that is even if you think somebody, even if somebody says something that you think is somewhat insulting, I, I think the best thing to do with it is just let it go by, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of let it go by. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it isn't something to to deal with all the time. You know, sometimes people think they have to deal with everything that's said or what people think about them versus, no, that's just, no, that's always going on. 
if a human being is alive and awake, they're thinking things about other people and about life. They're having judgments. That's what that's what goes through a human being's mind. To worry about that is is like you said, it's kind of a waste of time, actually. Yeah, it it really is. Um, David, you say that um, there are three responses to hearing painful statements from family members. Um, you know, what are they? Three responses to hearing painful things. Yeah. Okay, yes. Well, uh, uh, one is if, if somebody says something painful, again, it's to, uh, is mostly is, is to not add something to that. It's, you know, it, one of the things we do is we first off make up that, oh, it's an insult. We make up that they had no right to say it. We add to that that, we add to that, that it's uh, somehow um, like a, a, uh, against us. Versus, no, it's just the person saying something. And, they, you know, who knows why they said it and who knows what kind of mood they're in and who knows what they're dealing with. So to be able to relate to it as something they said versus an insult or versus against us, that's number one, very powerful. Mm-hmm. Number two is, um, is to um, uh, just be able to listen to things. When you just listen to things, uh, and that the other person gets heard, you don't have to deal with it or you don't have to respond to it. You just listen to it. When you listen to what the other person says with an appreciation for what is it they would like me to hear here, what's important to them, what really matters to them that they're trying to communicate to me. So if you, if you, you know, don't worry about being hurt by it, but go, okay, there's something here important to the other person that they want me to hear. What is that? And you listen. That keeps you very much in communication. So, and then the third... No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. And then the, uh, the third thing would be is to, you know, in the conversation, right, really be concerned for something. Be, what we're concerned for shapes how we relate to things. So if what we're concerned for is being right or if what we're concerned for is what people think of us, then we'll probably respond to that um, as an insult and as mm-hmm. against us, and we'll start arguing with it. So you're if saying what, we have an agenda? Uh-huh. Very good. And, and at the same time, if what we're concerned for is real communication and what we're concerned for is staying connected, then we'll hear that as something else. We'll hear that as a, a time to get in communication versus an insult. So to keep yourself concerned for being in communication and being connected versus, you know, uh, what people are thinking of you. You know, obviously what you're saying here is that, uh, to the communication skills can really be learned. Um, but again, question, you know, being able to do it in three or five days. I mean, would you... Would you agree that probably people who sort of get on this path of really transforming continue um, with workshops, classes, what have you? Oh, it's very useful, right? Because, you know, once yeah. you, like with anything, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm just taking up horseback riding, and I'm taking lots of classes in horseback riding, okay? Because <laughs> I've gotten it down now. I can ride a horse, but boy, do I want to develop it, right? So, yeah. you know, to really develop it powerfully, you know, to stay in classes or keep getting coached is really useful. Do you think there are people who absolutely cannot get anything out of a workshop like this? I don't, if, you know, if, if, you know, if you're there and uh, you are really interested in, in, you know, you're interested in, uh, you know, being powerful in life and mm-hmm. loving your life, mm-hmm. you know, 
I haven't met, you know, I've led the Landmark Forum personally for tens of thousands of people, and we've led it for now over two million people, mm-hmm. and uh, I just haven't met anybody that just, you know, if you just think, all we do is we talk and we think. So if you can talk and you can think, boy, there's a breakthrough to be had. Fantastic. Um, David Cunningham, I just have time for a quick question coming through on um, Facebook. And so we just have two minutes left, so maybe you could answer this for our listener. Um, is an anonymous person asking this question, um, but how can couples change their negative perceptions of each other when it goes has gone so far down the wrong road? Okay. Uh, one is to definitely is to actually make a list, make a, take a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle, and on one side write what literally happened, and on the other side of that line write everything you decided about what happened, and really get those sorted out. And when you get that your negative perceptions are based in that story and those decisions, that is the first piece of that battle. And then the second thing, again, is to be shift your concern from being right, shift your concern from... Uh, uh, being the 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 good one or the one that's not to blame the other person's blame. Shift that whole concern over to uh, that that life really works for you together. And when that becomes your concern, um, those negative perceptions also disappear. Fantastic, David Cunningham of the Landmark Forum. Thank you so much for being on Talk with Francesca today. You just gave us tons of really great information. Uh, what's the website for the Landmark Forum? at LandmarkWorldwide.com. Okay, fantastic. Thanks so much. All right, up next, it's inevitable aging parents, but what if they are unbearable parents? When we come back to Indiana Jones of Literature, Ariel Gore, stay tuned. I've been waiting on the sunset, bills on my mindset, I can't deny they're getting high. If you're anything like me, your dog is no different than your child. That's why when I need to be somewhere that I can't take my little guy, I bring him to the Playful Pack in Ipswich. There isn't a thing that the Playful Pack doesn't provide to give your furry friend a great day of socializing. They even separate the small dogs from the big. What a relief that was for me. My little guy has a big personality, but he is still only 20 pounds, so I feel so much more comfortable with him playing with kids his own size. And at any time, I can open up the Playful Pack's webcam and see exactly what he's doing. Now, that's maintaining control. Your pet will exercise, play, and rest in a safe, clean, and comfortable environment. So it's kind of a no-brainer where you want to take your dog when you're not around. Visit theplayfulpack.com or call 978-356-3698 today. You'll be glad you did. Moving into your new home or office is easy when you trust the experienced professional movers of the Brickhouse Moving Company. And if you're looking for dedicated movers who will take the stress out of your next move, Call the Brickhouse Moving Company at 978-278-3578. We serve all of New England, both residential and commercial moves. No job is too small. Doing the move yourself? No problem. Brickhouse Moving can provide you with all the packing materials you'll need. Call us today at 978-278-3578 or visit us online at BrickhouseMovingCompany.com. Located in Boston's North End holds one of our best-kept secrets, Antico Forno, ranked number nine of the top ten Italian restaurants around the world within the category of being one of the most authentic. With a welcoming family feel, it's hard to argue the experience you have when enjoying dinner at Antico Forno. Best known for their brick oven pizza, their world-class traditional cuisine does not fall far behind. Come enjoy dinner at Antico Forno and feel like part of the family. Open daily from 11.30 a.m. until 10 p.m. Call us today at 617 6733 or visit us at anticofornoboston.com 
I think everyone would agree that painting is a quick and easy way to update and revive your home or office. Keeping a fresh coat of paint can also boost your curb appeal, so if you're thinking of selling this spring, call Ian Armour at 978-270-3187 for all your painting needs. I promise you he is clean and neat, thorough, dependable, and really goes above and beyond for you. Ian's number again is 978-270-3187. I know you will be thrilled with the results. Need to refresh and renew after a long winter? Your home may need that too. Shed the cabin fever feeling your home has and bring that spring feel in. Professional interior designer Sue Rilovic of the Tristan Design Group will bring her 30 years of experience, expertise, and advice to your home. Call to schedule an affordable in-home consultation now, address your concerns, or let Sue's ideas flow and see where it can take your home. 603-285-3924. 603-285-3924. The Tristan Design Group. Your home of the future. And zero seven five. Less than four point four seconds. That's how long you have to convince your potential customers to stay on your website before they go elsewhere. With so much competition on the web, it's hard enough to get your market's attention. The only thing harder is keeping it. Web developer and marketer April Ann Francis makes it easy to do both. Boost your business with responsive blogs, social media marketing, WordPress design, custom Facebook pages, e-commerce, Google+, search engine, and mobile presence. Training available. Visit AprilAnnFrancis.com. Email April at AprilAnnFrancis.com or call 413-320-9233. That's 413-320-9233. Are you looking for an authentic Italian meal in an intimate setting? Then you'll want to dine at Terramia's. This North End Italian restaurant provides a simply divine culinary experience and, as quoted in Zagat's Restaurant Guide, pastas without compare. And it's reasonably priced. This North End gem will keep you coming back. Terramia is simply the best Italian restaurant in all of Boston. Call 617-523-3112, 617-523-3112, or terramiarestaurante.com. Hey, this is James Woods, and you are listening to Talk with Francesca every Saturday morning right here on 1510 Yahoo Sports Radio Boston. Okay, welcome back to Talk with Francesca. I'm here now with Ariel Gore, who now has another book, The End of Eve, or I should say memoir. At age 39, Ariel... You had everything you wanted, a successful writing career, a long-term partnership, a beautiful home, a daughter in college, and a son in preschool. But you say, if it's not one thing after all, it's your mother. (laughs) Well, your mother was a narcissist, right? I would say so, sure, yes. So um, when you say, if it's not one thing after all, it's your mother, what do you mean by that? Give us well, some history. in my particular case, she, uh, my mother knocked on my d- door in my otherwise going pretty well life um, and announced that she had just been diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. Um, so, um, and, and she wanted me to help take care of her. I mean, she didn't really want me to take care of her. She said, uh, pitifully, you're all I have. So you, You're so an only child? Over. No, I have an older sister, but um, she... She was not interested in helping my mom for completely understandable reasons. The same, because she was a difficult mother. 
Yeah, she was very, you know, she was always very abusive. Um, yeah, what do you mean by that? I mean, beautiful I, and um, interesting. You know, I always kind of liked her, but she was quite mean to me. Um, oh. at, at times when I was growing up, she was both physically abusive and just kind of the type of person um, who created chaos everywhere she went. Drama. Um, yeah. Yeah. And But you said your life was going along just fine. So I find that um, interesting because, you know, it sounds like if she was just so dysfunctional and toxic and abusive, how did you manage to just kind of get beyond all that and and have a great life? You know, like you had everything you wanted, like a successful career. You had a long-term relationship, your home, your daughter in college, son in preschool all that stuff. So how were you able to put that stuff, that childhood behind you and have that kind of a life? Well, I mean, you do, you know, I I mean, I ran away from home when I was a teenager. Um, I think that um, a kind of silver lining to um, being uh, abused as a kid, if, you know, if you're not broken, is that you become very resilient. Yes, um, absolutely. Do you think that your mother contributed in in a way to your success in some in some way in that because, like you were saying, that you became resilient? Do you think she did you write to process your feelings? I mean, how did you end up becoming a writer? Oh yeah, I mean, don't you think that all artists and yeah. writers are <laughs> a little bit troubled. You know, a little you, off, you mean? you're doing really well, like in your brain, um, uh, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't need to um, create all this angst in writing. Um, exactly. You know, um, <laughs> well, yeah, so there's something a little, you know, you know I guess we're all a little jaded, true. right? <laughs> it's true, I think. Um, and I, you know, I think that a lot of us are drawn to writing in particular if, if we've been told to shut up a lot. It's a, it's yeah. a place to sort of find your voice with, outside of um, that kind of violence, mm-hmm. uh, um, a place where you can, can find your voice kind of in solitude mm-hmm. and then put it out in the world when you're ready. So... So basically, you had a beautiful mother who was narcissistic and mean. Was she mean also? Yes, she okay. was very mean. <laughs> so let be well before we talk about her, um, you taking care of her. Just give our listening audience just a little um, history of, of, you know, sort of um, set the stage. Give us a picture of of what it looked like as a child growing up with your mother. Well, I mean, she was complicated, like I said. She was um, definitely mean, definitely um, just super wacky, you know. Like, um, she took me to see Mommy Dearest when I was about 10 years old, and and then uh, and I laughed during the wire hanger scene. And so later she bragged to her friends that I had laughed, and then she would reenact the scene, like, for kicks, you know. Um, so I would wake up. Um, and she would have the face mask on and have a wire hanger and be screaming like she was going to hit me, you know. And so this is like, a, you know, very Oof. wacky kind of abusive. Like, um, Did it create post-traumatic stress? Oh, I don't know. Hmm. Um, <laughs> um, 
Um, sure. I mean, I, you know. Well, you know, you're, you're laughing child. and you're laughing. And you know what I guess I would have to say about that? I guess cracking up can keep you from well cracking up, right? <laughs> Definitely. You know, I, I come from a family that had a lot of violence in it. And I come from a family that had a lot of humor in it, too. And that's yeah. the way yeah. that I certainly dealt with it. And it's a way that I think in my in my family in general, people dealt with it. Mm-hmm. A lot of times sort of cracking a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, was the way to get my mom to put down her weapon. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's it's disarming. Um, you know, relationships between mothers and daughters can be tough to begin with. And if you've got a, you know, a crazy mother and then she knocks on your door and says, I have stage four lung cancer. Um, did it ever um, occur to you that you wouldn't take care of her? I mean, you know, I, uh, how I found you was I had read in uh, Psychology Today, what do you, what do we owe to a difficult parent? I mean, did it ever cross your mind that uh, I'm not dealing with her? Sure. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned, I have an older sister and that was her attitude. Um, again, understandably. Um, and I decided to try to help my mom for a couple of reasons. Number one, you know, it didn't seem like she was going to live that long. And you tell yourself, well, I can do anything for six weeks to a year, mm-hmm. um, frankly. Um, so had I thought that it was a longer-term commitment, I might, have, I might have thought more than twice about it. And and was it? It did end up to be a longer commitment. Um, as a good friend of mine said when my mom was first diagnosed, um, she won't die in a year. Narcissists take a long time to die. I wonder and, what she meant. That, by, I wonder what she meant by that. Probably true. that they they just they put everything on everybody else, and so that they're nice and clean and bright and shiny and right. <laughs> well, even a doctor told me that 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 people who are mean seem to live longer. And I don't know if that's because you sort of fight it, um, if there's a spiritual reason for it, if there's a like a physical reason for it. Um, or if it's even true, if it's just what it's what people told me, it's sort of an anecdotal right thing. And it and for us, it turned out to be true. She lived for a long time. Then again, I think you know, hopefully, doctors are learning not to tell people how long they have to live because statistics are outdated by the time they right. exist. So how was it? So how did you? Because you know, I mean, it's dealing with someone who is dying is is tough enough without dealing with a you know I mean, they say people die the same way they lived so i would assume if she was mean and vicious growing up she was probably mean and vicious as she was dying is that would you say that's accurate um you know she was definitely um complicated she was mean she was needy she hated to be needy she hated me because she needed me you know all this kind of thing um by the and, way how did she get that way um <laughs> i mean it's, does she have borderline personality disorder or um you know it's interesting since i put out this book the end of eve um uh a lot of psychologists have who have read it have kind of diagnosed her based on the stories that i told as having borderline personality disorder um when i was growing up she was diagnosed bipolar but she was never medicated we were never in the mental health system so that wasn't really whatever her mental health diagnosis wasn't really part of our reality because she didn't deal with it and she didn't 
get medicated. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Talk with Francesca. I'm speaking with Ariel Gore, who has written a memoir, The End of Eve. I actually just started um, reading it last night, and it is just such a, a page-turner. So uh, you said your mother lived substantially longer. So what was substantially longer? She ended up living about um, two and a half years from her diagnosis. And how was that with your partner? I mean, did it, it crimp your style and your relationship, or how, how did? Oh, we broke up. <laughs> oh, you, because of yeah. that, or was it because of that, or your mother well, living it? Well, it's just too much stress on our relationship, um, I think. And and if we had really prioritized our relationship, and if we had known how long we were going to spend with my mom, we we. We wouldn't have done that. Um, then you, again, you know, you see the part of your relationship that really wasn't working. Anyway. You see the parts of your life that yeah. um, that really aren't working. And that's the, sort of um, the beauty of, <laughs> of terrible, chaotic situations is that they really um, kind of annihilate everything that's not um, completely solid. To so, with, yeah, that yeah. relationship didn't last um, and and do, do you regret that, or was this partner similar to your mother in that? I mean, sometimes we, you know, it's it's no secret that we choose partners that we have a more difficult, who we have a more difficult time with as far as a parent is. I didn't say that quite right, but, right. you no, know, no, like, no, so if you had, so if you, and I, just talking to the audience, listening audience for a second, and that we, we choose, it's not uncommon for us to choose, um, a partner who is um, somewhat like the parent we had the most difficult time with. And there is always one. Um, was your partner anything like your mother? You know, I don't think she was m much like my mother, um, except that, you know, the thing, one thing that I realized in the course of dealing with all this is that my definition or my expectation of love wasn't really love it was kind of waiting for love and mm. fighting for love and and having a lot of tension around love and um you know so part of my process in in going through all this was really looking at that mm -hmm. and looking at the possibility that that maybe love is something simpler than i had been trained to to call love do you know what i mean um, yeah, I, that maybe you know me waking up hating myself in the middle of the night is not experiencing love. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, and and why would you do that? Because you're, you do you think your mother hated you? Um, or did she well, have self-loathing? Yeah, did, yeah, I mean, she definitely said that she hated me on numerous occasions. Um, did she like herself? It's it's hard saying. I mean, I think that. A lot of times the trouble between mothers and daughters is that the mother sees their daughter as an extension of themselves. Mm -hmm. um, right. And and so then all these issues come up and there's jealousy and and um, then there's your all your self-loathing that you can project onto your daughter. I have a grown daughter mm -hmm. also and... Um, Sometimes it is a struggle not to not to see your daughter as an extension of yourself, right. and it's something that you have to be careful that you're not doing, especially at different life stages. I mean, particularly I think when the when our daughters are in adolescence, that's a really um, 
tricky life passage and a lot of moms fall into feeling jealous or um or the the variations of jealousy mm-hmm. um one of the people who commented on your um, book said that in a sense it was a, your book was a how-to book um it says in the face uh, tom spanbauer i don't know if i said that right but anyway um yeah. he said in the face of death our grief our grief how to breathe how to be brave how to be funny how to be authentic do you feel that it, when your mother was dying and you were going through this, did you grow in any significant way that you're you're grateful f- for your mother? Oh yeah, I mean my life is completely different. I feel a compl- like I'm a completely different person. Um, just those couple of years, it was complete chaos, but it was also a kind of um, Zen boot camp, if that's. <laughs> Yeah, okay, great. I like that. I like Um, that. um, Where I really had to learn how to take care of myself and how to breathe and how to say no when there was a limit. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, going into it, a lot of people, a lot of friends of mine didn't think I should take care of her at all under the circumstances. And I can certainly understand making the choice not to. But and then who would have taken care of her? Well, no one. You know, the at the in the end, um, there was the real choice to make whether we should kind of abandon her to the state. That was really the only other option. Mm-hmm. Um, and the I you know I couldn't you know. I, like I told people, even Joan Crawford didn't deserve that. You know, I looked at sort of the state facility that she would end up. And um, when the when the hospital finally released her to me, the, the other option was like to not answer my phone and ha- make them release her to the state. Mm. Were there ever any tender moments towards the end of your mother's life? You know, there were. Um, I mean, did your mother have any capacity for love whatsoever, or was she just miserable? Oh yeah, she did. She was definitely um, very. Uh, back and forth a lot. I mean, did she um, ever like go from like you know being yes being vicious and horrible and mean, but was she ever nice to you? Um, I wouldn't say she was super nice. She you know she had a sweet relationship with both of my kids, uh-huh. so um, I could definitely see her heart in that. She was kind to me sometimes. Sure, I mean I wouldn't have I would have abandoned her to the state if it was completely uh, off the hook abusive all the time uh, because you just can't take it, you know, not because I'm um, mean, but there's, you know, there's a limit of what you can take. Um, But, you know, it's interesting because I think that a lot of our cultural beliefs around death are that things are going to be really sweet at the end, that you're going to get a kind of, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, a Hallmark card ending, yeah. and that didn't happen for us. And that's part of the reason that I wanted to write the book um, so quickly after my mom passed is to, to not forget that and to not let myself kind of sugarcoat things in my memory mm-hmm. before I got them down on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the majority of what I read about death is very sugarcoated and... Yep. You know, maybe there were some hard moments, but it was all worthwhile for this. And I really wanted to 
get it down in, in kind of its um, full intensity because so many people are, are dealing with this, taking care of mm-hmm. their parents, whether they're difficult or not, uh, whether they were difficult when they were younger, maybe their personalities change in age, whether they have Alzheimer's. I was just talking to a woman the other day who had a difficult mother all her life and the mother got Alzheimer's and was was quite sweet the last few years that she was taking care of her. So you never know which way things are going to go. But but you are glad that you did take care of her. And no guilt writing the book about the crazy ways that she was? Well, I was not exactly guilt, but, you know, I was definitely trained my whole life not to talk about my mom's behavior. I was My stepdad would say, you know, she can't help the way she is. Um, and she would definitely be very angry if um, if I talked openly about the way she behaved at home. Um, and so you do you 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 hang on to that even when someone passes, and you're like, oh, I can't, you know, I can't tell this and I can't tell that. Um, but isn't luckily, it freeing to be able to do that, to tell that um, story, and just put it behind you? I think so, yeah, that's definitely part of it. And, you know, I've, I've tried to, in my writing my whole life, tell the truth about different experiences. So I I did have some practice, you know, talking about things that I'm afraid to talk about and kind of going to the places that we're told not to go. So it's interesting. I just actually had um, a guest on right before you. We were discussing the Landmark Forum. Are you familiar with it? Not particularly, but I know what you're talking about. But it's a it's like a transformational kind of workshop thing. And, and one of the questions that I actually had um, was that how does someone in a weekend kind of put the past behind them? Um, and, you know, because it's just a weekend thing. And he was talking about how, you know, there is a, we, things happen and then we attach meaning to that, those things. And, um you know, to realize that and just say, okay, that happened and now it's gone um, is very transformational. And to some degree, I I can see that. But when you have a situation such as yours, obviously, it's really, I would think, would be very difficult. I can't imagine having that kind of an upbringing and and not being able to, and, and expecting that over a weekend you could work it through. Well, maybe not a weekend. <laughs> but I think that you know, part of the utility of memoir writing is that we turn our lives into more cohesive, almost, mythologies. Not that they're untrue in any way, but you you build a story and infuse it with more meaning and give it a kind of a pattern and a wholeness that maybe life doesn't, doesn't have or doesn't feel like it has on a day-to-day basis. What would you like our listening audience to know about your book? That what message would you like to get across to them? What I mean, any tips like to... <laughs> on you know on when you're you're dealing with a you know a, a difficult parent and they're dying? Any, any you know? I would just say that there's no formula in terms of what we owe a parent or what we owe a difficult parent when they're dying as they're getting older. Um, it's important to sort of sit with it and behave in a way that you're going to be proud of. What what does that mean? Does that mean you're going to be there for them, or does that mean that you're going to have a boundary and say, you know, I'll come to visit you on Saturdays, 
but this isn't my job. Um, and I think that, that that was a really important thing for, for me and the people close to me um, to let me do what I felt like I needed to do and, and not judge me in that. Fantastic. Ariel Gore, author of The End of Eve. Thanks so much for being on Talk with Francesca today. It's been Thanks a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay. All right. We've got to wrap things up. Thanks for listening. Keep your questions coming. Write to me and let me know what's on your mind. See you later and have a fantastic week. Don't try so hard to move past the Are you looking for an authentic Italian meal in an intimate setting? Then you'll want to dine at Terramia's. This North End Italian restaurant provides a simply divine culinary experience and, as quoted in Zagat's Restaurant Guide, pastas without compare. And it's reasonably priced. This North End gem will keep you coming back. Terramia is simply the best Italian restaurant in all of Boston. Call 617-523-3112, 617-523-3112, or terramiarestaurante.com. If you're anything like me, your dog is no different than your child. That's why when I need to be somewhere that I can't take my little guy, I bring him to the Playful Pack in Ipswich. There isn't a thing that the Playful Pack doesn't provide to give your furry friend a great day of socializing. They even separate the small dogs from the big. What a relief that was for me. My little guy has a big personality, but he is still only 20 pounds, so I feel so much more comfortable with him playing with kids his own size. And at any time, I can open up the Playful Pack's webcam and see exactly what he's doing. Now, that's maintaining control. Your pet will exercise, play, and rest in a safe, clean, and comfortable environment. So it's kind of a no-brainer whether you want to take your dog when you're not around. Visit theplayfulpack.com or call 978-356-3698 today. You'll be glad you did. Need to refresh and renew after a long winter? Your home may need that too. Shed the cabin fever feeling your home has and bring that spring feel in. Professional interior designer Sue Rilovic of the Tristan Design Group will bring her 30 years of experience, expertise, and advice to your home. Call to schedule an affordable in-home consultation now, address your concerns, or let Sue's ideas flow and see where it can take your home. 603-285-3924. 603-285-3924. The Tristan Design Group your home of the future. Moving into your new home or office is easy when you trust the experienced professional movers of the Brickhouse Moving Company. And if you're looking for dedicated movers who will take the stress out of your next move, call the Brickhouse Moving Company at 978-278-3578. We serve all of New England, both residential and commercial moves. No job is too small. Doing the move yourself? No problem. Brickhouse Moving can provide you with all the packing materials you'll need. Call us today at 978-278-3578 or visit us online at BrickhouseMovingCompany.com.